Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, everybody, before we get started, we got to definitely thank our show sponsor, the people who've been helping me out for the last couple of years and also helping you guys out in terms of hydration. Yep, that's right. Noon Hydration. Noonlife.com. N-U-U-N. Life.com. There's also a link on packfiller.com if you actually want to go there. But if you're one of the people who probably doesn't even know that I have a website because you get this podcast off of iTunes or Stitcher or something like that, you can go to noonlife.com and check out all their great products, all the stuff that gets me through and um, it actually keeps me awake sometimes too. I love that stuff because they, they've got the, the energy ones with a little bit, of, little, little bit of caffeine in it that helps me keep going. So there we go. Noon Life, good friends of the show. Go check them out. Now let's do a podcast. Hey, you guys, welcome to the podcast that would side with Bernard Hinault's opinions on this year's Tour de France if he wasn't so, well, French about it. This is the Pack Filler Podcast. I'm Pat Bolger, coming to you in studio for this one. Ah, can you feel it, you guys? The summer's here. Tour is just days away, and I am ready. I am ready. Mentally, that is. Physically, Physically, you guys, that's another thing. I, you know, I always start these shows off with a little bit of, you know, a little bit of stuff into my life and my perspective. And I know you guys probably fast forward through this point, so kiss my ass. But it's my opportunity to talk to somebody who's listening, right? Are you listening? Are you there for me? You guys, I have a confession to make. You ready? Are you sitting down? You guys, I got beat by my son in a bike race. 
I got beat by my son in two bike races, actually. I know you're thinking to yourself, what's the big deal, Pat? You guys, I've hit the moment of reality. I'm no longer the strong guy. I'm sure every dad has to go through this at some point. Shit, I'm sure my dad had to. I should ask him about it, maybe sit down with him and, you know, have him tell me his story. He's really good at that. But I'm sure he had to go through it. You know, the day that I beat him, the day that I was a faster bike rider or a faster skier or something like that. I mean, he'll always have golf. My dad will always beat me at golf. I can't and never will beat him at golf because I fucking hate golf. But, you know, he doesn't need to know that necessarily. My son has not been training, at least since before May. He didn't, he, he, you know, he was at college. He didn't do any training that time. He's 19. I guess maybe something that was donated to him genetically was the fact that he can suffer big time and he's got a big engine, right? I think my only advantage has been knowing how to start. These are these these races we just recently did were short uh, weeknight uh, mountain bike races, little short ones, maybe, you know, anywhere between 7 to 10 miles. I think the longest was about 15 miles, so they're quick, right? And I usually got an advantage early because, you know, there's one thing you learn in your years of bike racing. It's how to start properly, especially if it's a fast start. And uh, I had that advantage. I'd roll up to the line, get up there in front. You know, the, the things that we take for granted now because we've done them enough, we've, we've started bike races or especially crits towards the back and, you know, got your ass handed to you because you didn't start off fast enough. Nope, not anymore. He figured that out. And he kicked my ass. I know this sounds like a big pity party for me, but God damn it. I might have road racing to hold on to, you guys, though. We did an 80-mile Fondo a few weeks ago. Speaking of which, big thanks to the Chafe 150 in beautiful Sandpoint, Idaho. Uh, we're going to be doing some promo stuff for them for next year's event because they were kind enough to to get my son and I in and 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 show us an incredible event. They had two distances, an 80-mile and a 150-mile in absolutely stunning stunning backdrops and it was a gorgeous ride the day was great um they said we'd only climb 1500 feet but i think it was more like 3000 feet i won't hold that against him we did this 80 mile ride and it was beautiful and i was concerned about his his fitness levels right because you know he hadn't trained he'd been gone so i pulled the entire way I'm not exaggerating. I pulled the entire way. I was concerned about him not being able to make it. So I did the majority of that work. Of course, he claims he couldn't have made the distance if I hadn't done that. So, But I think the little shit's just being nice to me, to be honest. So maybe I have that. Maybe I can hold on to that. I don't know. Am I overreacting here? Am I? Should I be thankful for the fact that I'm out there actually competing with my 19-year-old son and he's not, you know doing drugs or crashing cars. Yeah, I should probably be thankful. I am, I guess. (laughs) So I'm at that moment in my life. My age advantage is now a disadvantage. 
So I had to make a decision, you guys. I had to, you know, my choices were this. Number one, I accept fate. I join the AARP. I buy a recumbent and I start wearing day glow and a rear view mirror on my helmet. That's option number one. You've seen those people. They've made that decision. Or number two, I get pissed off and I work harder. I'm not pissed at my son. I'm pissed at, at, at time. So I'm going with number two. <laughs> number two. So I got the workout room dialed in yesterday and decided that I have to work out my entire body, not just during the off season. I'm sure a lot of you guys out there do that, unless you're one of the, you know, those mutants who just constantly works out all the time. I do a lot of really good work in the winter, you know, sit-ups, push-ups, you know, weights, things like that. And then I usually stop right when the season starts because that's the time to, you know, focus on being a bike rider. And it's probably not very beneficial. Here I'm looking down at my left elbow and I have a, a wrap on it because I have freaking tendonitis in my elbow because I don't work out those areas enough. So I've decided that I have to do more. And so yesterday, in fact, I did a Derby workout. D-A-R-E-B-E-E. I am not being paid by these people. It's a website I found. And if you look through the archives of this podcast, I spoke with somebody involved with Derby a long time ago. And... Um, it's just a brilliant website. But anyway, I did one yesterday. Leg day, right? I thought I'd jump into this, quite literally, and um, you know, do something that I knew I could probably accomplish just to kind of get myself into the habit of going into that room three, four, whatever days a week and, and doing something, right? So this leg day consists of like jump squats, jump lunges, jumping jacks, believe it or not. And it's not a huge workout. I mean, I think the whole thing took me about 50 minutes, not including warming up and cooling down on the bike in, in, in that room, which felt weird. I Riding indoors when it's nice outside is always weird. So you'd think I'd be okay, right? It's all legs. I thought so too. Then I got up and I fucking walked down the stairs this morning. Holy shit, you guys. It was like my legs were made out of two by fours. It, it's that controlled fall, like when you see a toddler learning to walk. You know, the first couple steps were easy, and then I realized I was in trouble, and I, I, I couldn't control the pace of myself coming going down the stairs. It was that, oh, shit, 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 shit. And I, I even just had my cup of coffee this morning, and I kicked back on the couch and stood up, and my legs, my, my calves had tightened up again. Another slap in the face from that dark devil of reality. So now I understand, I guess. I can't go quietly into the good night. I actually have to work harder. Shit. Well, all right. Got to work harder for the same results. Oh, well. Hey, you guys, speaking of that, and, and again, this isn't a, a, a plug for them. It isn't a paid plug. Check out Darebeat.com for some brilliant total body workouts. A lot of them are body weight issue workouts, which is kind of the trend now. These guys have been doing it for a freaking long time, and they've got um, just the way they present the workouts. You can do total programs. You can do a workout of the day. It's it's uh, the, the workouts themselves show you exact detail of how to do them. Some of them are kind of silly and fun and superhero-based. It's They got a great mentality towards us. So check them out, you guys, okay? So anyway, that's the evil punch in the gut I just realized. Shit. Oh, well, today's show, you guys. Today's show is another perspective, again, on reality. 
in, in, a, in a slightly more serious tone than Mike whining about being my, having my ass handed to me by a 19-year-old nice guy. Spencer Newell is going to be on the show today, another Bend, Oregon resident. I don't know what is, is about that town. Spencer provided me with a little perspective of what's going on. He's the author of Appetite for an Addiction, a book I'm currently reading about his battle with addiction and then how endurance sports helped him out of that. It's it's in your face. The first page, you know, all you know, metaphorically punches you in the butt, in the balls. But punches you in the butt. That doesn't sound right. That just sounds sad, doesn't it? I'd edit this, but I don't edit it. But it it punches you in the gut is what I meant to say. I was going to say punch you in the balls or the gut, and so I said both, and I said punches you in the butt. I don't know why I'm explaining this to you, but it is this. The book just takes off right out of the gate, and um, it it's. It's frank, it's in your face, and it's it's pretty emotional. So I, I recommend it. I, like I said, I'm only about a third of the way into it, so I'm not one of these people who's going to bullshit you about something. So, But um, ch- check it out. and there, We'll provide you with information on how to find the book itself, uh, probably towards the tail end of the interview here. So big thanks to Karsten Hagen, my Bend, Oregon. God, you're getting tired of me saying Bend, Oregon. He's, uh, you know, he's on the that live show a couple weeks ago, and he's one of our great producers here at the podcast. Big thanks to Karsten for making this interview possible. He's been uh, lining up a bunch of fun guests for me. So you guys, there we go. Without further ado, Spencer Newell on the Backfiller Podcast. All right, you guys, today's guest is a passionate author, endurance athlete, and a wellness advocate. He's also the author of Appetite for Addiction, a pretty powerful book looking into the world of addiction, how endurance sports helped him out of a truly dark place. Uh, let's welcome to the show Spencer Newell. How are you, Spencer? I'm doing great, Patrick. Uh, sitting in my bedroom in Bend, Oregon, and the sun's out. It's all good. <laughs> you know, I've, I, we're going to get to Bend and all the things that is going on with that town. First of all, there's there's something in the water that draws top-end endurance athletes, but I'll, I'll get to that later on the show because I don't know what you guys are doing over there, but it obviously <laughs> seems to be working. Good deal. As as I said before, I even we even started the show here. First off, congratulations on the book. I have to admit I just found it, but I'm already loving it. Uh, you have... Uh, shit ton of courage to be, tell this story man this is pretty impressive that you went this you know into this depth that you went through appreciate that patrick thank you um as this is primarily a show about about cycling and you know we do cover other endurance sports i'd like to start by getting a little bit of perspective about your life in endurance sports uh cycling running i know you've you've been heavily involved in in both of those and and how all this kind of came into your life yeah so endurance sports has always been a passion of mine i was uh when i was had a teenager and, and just before that I was big into cross-country skiing and I cross-country skied all the way through um, college I raced at a D1 level with St. St. Lawrence University um, that's when I found Bend actually and we'll talk about that more later <laughs> when I got to Bend you know I chased the skiing dream for a little bit uh, you know it just didn't I didn't have it um, I had a lot of other distractions in my life too which again we'll get into later Um, but then I found cycling and I'd never ridden a bike before. And, you know, throughout my twenties, um, I just dove headfirst in, in the, in the road cycling, loved time trials, loved road races, hated crits, but I did them (laughs) anyway. Uh, you know, I, I burned out of that in about 2011 and I found ultra running. And for the last seven years, um, or up until about three months ago, the last seven years, 
I've been focusing on on training for ultra marathons anywhere from 50k to 100 miles. Oh god. Unfortunately, I couldn't stay healthy when I was doing that and I had a pretty bad bout with overtraining last year. And so I called an old coach of mine who was actually my cycling coach here in Ben, Michael Larson. And I said, "Hey man, I'm not doing the running anymore. I can't stay healthy. Let's let's do give this triathlon thing a try." So for the past three months or so, I've been been training pretty full time doing the triathlon training, and and I love it. It's 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 a great balance of everything, and you know I'm not logging big 70, 80 week, uh, 80 miles a week um, running anymore, which is it's keeping me healthy and it's keeping my mind going. So I'm in a really good spot with it. What type of levels of the sport are you are you competing in now, or or do you plan on competing at? Just kind of a fun little local thing. You want to take this to a national level and beyond. You know, I've always had a childhood dream of diving into an endurance sport and and competing at an elite, maybe even a professional level. Yeah. Um, you know, I really couldn't get to that point with cycling, with skiing, and and running to a point, but because um, I had just all these distractions with drugs and alcohol, and I couldn't, I could never achieve my potential. I got sober back in 2014 and I was in the midst of uh, trying out these ultra marathons. And it was a couple years into sobriety that I remember a very vivid conversation with my friend and business partner, Betsy, um, just saying, Hey, I think, I think I want to make a run at this and see what I can do with ultra running. And for the next two years, I took it very seriously um, to the point, you know, where I did too much. Yeah. Overtrained pretty badly, ran big, big hundred plus mile weeks, uh, several weeks in a row. And it just, my body wasn't, wasn't able to, to take it. So, you know, so in, I guess it was March of this year, you know, I, I, I called it quits, not called it quits totally with that, but I just needed another direction. And so I jumped into triathlon training and I literally did my first triathlon. It was an Olympic distance about six weeks ago. Uh, so I'm, I'm totally new to this. Um, <laughs> but what's not lost on me is I still have that childhood dream kicking yeah. pretty hard. And, um, Mike, my coach and I are working really hard to see where we can take this and whether it's, you know, a top amateur level or a low level pro, I don't know. Um, it doesn't really matter. All I want to do is be the best I can be without all the distractions I used to have in my life. Yeah. Well, let's, I mean, let's not to give too much of the book away, but let's talk about some of those distractions you deal with. And I mean, when the book, yeah. the book itself, you start right out of the gates. I mean, it is, it is definitely in your face and there is no nonsense about what this book is dealing with. And you're really open about it. Um, when do you recall uh, this, this need, this addiction of, of you primarily start off with alcohol, talking about that becoming a controlling part of your life and what, was that part i mean what what drove that that you can you know attest to i guess it's a good question and it goes all the way back to high school i went to a private high school ski academy in upstate vermont oh okay um, my junior senior and post grad year and at that point i was a i was a pretty pretty introverted guy and in that scene, you know, I, I had gotten into, it was my first experience with a, a private high school and I was introduced to a new socioeconomic status of, of money. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't come from a lot of money. So going into a situation where I was shy, introvert, and you have all these kids who 
some of the best junior skiers in the world coming from Britain, Sweden, Korea, Japan. And I was really intimidated. And for three years, I retreated pretty hard and, and was very, very shy and very introverted. And, you know, it was such a, you know, it was my own doing. But when I got to college, I was hellbent on not repeating that experience. And I went to school. Um, it was kind of a safety school for all the kids who wanted to get into Ivy League schools. So St. Lawrence. And St. Lawrence was actually, their reputation skyrocketed since then. But so the first day I walked on campus, not wanting to repeat that same situation I did in high school, I started drinking and it was, I was sold. I mean, it was an antidote for me becoming an extrovert, a gregarious socialite. It, it literally changed my life. Wow. Um, so, so that's really when it started and it kept going. The train was rolling until about, I was uh, a little more than 34 years old. So about 18 to 34, about 16 years, I, I was into partying pretty hard. Were you also involved in endurance sports in, in this kind of depth and capacity at the time, but, or did it just kind of come through it where you, you talk about the people in your life who, who really encouraged you to get out and participate in some of these other activities? No, I always had the endurance bug. And yeah. when I was cycling in my 20s, I was partying pretty hard, but I was in my 20s too. So, you know, yeah. I could do both a little bit. Um, and that's, I actually created this false sense of invincibility during that time, you know, thinking I could train at a high level and then also party at a high level. Um, and that came crashing down ultimately. But no, endurance sports has always been a thread that's that's persisted even through all these addictions. I would to the point where I would justify one with the other. You know, I'd go out and party till 4 a.m. and you know wake up the next morning and do a 30 mile run just to wow. balance out what I had done the night before. And you know, I was I did that quite a bit, and ultimately it was <laughs> not sustainable. Yeah. And do you think that in, in from your experience and from other people you've been with in the sport, do you think that the endurance athlete possesses what we could ide- identify as, I guess, a, a quote, addictive personality of sorts that can lead to this kind of behavior? I've, I know some people who've, you know, for example, have had siblings who have had drug and alcohol addiction problems, and then they take that addictive mentality and apply it to sport, and, and bec- it becomes an all-encompassing part of their life. Do you believe that, that, that there can be a shift in there? or that somebody can possibly have, an, I guess, an addiction to sports? Oh, absolutely. And I see it all the time. Even in ultra running, there was, um, which is pretty niche sport, Yeah. Um, I saw a lot of former addicts and alcoholics in that sport. Really? Cycling, not too much. Um, I mean, we're all kind of type A personalities when yeah. it comes to cycling and, and running and, and now triathlons. Um, so I see it and I did it myself. I transferred addictions right when I got sober because I didn't have anything else to be confident in and endurance sports was it. So I dove head first and, you know, I had to learn the hard way about overtraining ultimately, but yeah, I, I definitely went through that transference of addictions. Is, I mean, obviously we would talk about it as being a proper alternative to this type of a, of a lifestyle. Um, but can there be too much? And we talk about overtraining and we talk about, I mean, I've known some guys who have, who have kind of disengaged from their family in order to reach this, this specific level of, of fitness and training and, and accomplishment and things like that. I mean, is, can there be too much of anything like that? I see it all the time. Yeah. I see it all the time. And 
you know, Bend is, Bend is certainly known as an endurance Mecca. You know, it's, it's kind of riding on the heels of Boulder and Flagstaff's kind of in that mix too. And I do see it all the time. You know, people, I've, I've seen marriages end because of addictions to sports, Yeah, which, which is sad, but everything, you know, everyone's got their own stuff, you know, but, um, yeah, I do see it all the time for sure. And and we could even classify that in some realm to the fact of what the sport is dealing with uh, right now in terms of, of doping and performance enhancing. The, the, the training doesn't provide you with enough of the possible results. I have to achieve success at no matter what cost. And and here we're seeing this use of, of these performance enhancers in our, in our sport. Yeah, yeah, and that's... <laughs> That brings it to a whole nother level. Yeah. Uh, one of my best friends in the world is a head coach for the women's cross country ski team. Yeah, and and he talks about racing clean, and that is his you know other than getting his athletes fit, that is the main objective because in his sport in cross country skiing, there has not been a history of clean racing. Yeah, and you know we talk about cycling, and you know of course there's a pro level, but I even see it on an amateur level. Oh yeah, um, you know it's not. It, it tends to be hidden, hidden behind the curtain, but I've, I've heard rumors, uh, pretty justified rumors about that stuff happening too. Yeah, well, I mean, I've read stories and, and reports of some of the most active uses of performance enhancers are, are master's men. Yeah, you know, yep. Who, who are exactly. just, you know, weekend warriors who are doing some of this stuff. So, um, and you talk, your book also talks about the people in your life that helped you and um, who were they? You don't have to identify them if they don't want to be identified, but um, who were they and, and how could you have done this without them or could you have done this without them? There's no way I could have. I had, I had two mentors early on in sobriety that are still very much my personal spiritual mentors, we'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, they've been very uh, influential and and in my sobriety for sure. Um, I have a medical team right now that, you know, in terms of psychotherapy and that sort of thing, who is also, she has um, also been very helpful in progressing, you know, through sobriety. But, you know, from an athletic standpoint, I have um, one of my mentors is here in Bend and he's my coach, Mike Larson. And he's seen me through everything you know, in terms of, you know, all the partying and he didn't even know it at the time, which is, I fooled him pretty badly. But, um, and then I also had another mentor down Flagstaff. Uh, his name is Ian Torrance and he, he was kind of helping me out towards the end of the ultra running career. Um, but yeah, without that team and I call it a board of advisors almost like I have people in place for very specific reasons, whether it's sobriety, whether it's endurance, whether it's business. And I, another one of my business mentors just lives down the road for me here in Bend. His name's Davis. Um, so without that team, I don't know where, <laughs> I don't know where I'd be. You know, I, 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 what I learned early on was I can't do this alone. Yeah. And, uh, I rely on that team every day. Does the, does the sport itself help you in this? I mean, I, we talk about the social elements of the, of the sport, you know, the, the, even just, I think about myself, um, now I don't know if I'm necessarily as much into racing as I ever were, but I love the rides with the friends and I love the stories and you can find yourself on a three hour ride and yeah. not re- I'll come home and my wife said, what do you talk about? And I, I don't really know, but I don't think we ever shut up the whole time. Right, right. Um, you, but you also talked about combating depression 
in your recent blog entry with with training and with getting out and doing these types of things. So is is there a balance? Do you see the 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 pros and cons of being not only social but also being solitary in those types of events? Yeah, there are pros and cons to both. Uh, when I was, so I just moved back to Bend about a month ago and I was living in training in Corvallis for Oregon for seven years. It's where Oregon State University is. Yeah. And I was generally a lone wolf. And towards the end of my stay there, you know, I was training a lot alone. Um, and I had also just come off a, a pretty bad bout of overtraining, yeah. which led me to two very uh, severe month long bouts with depression. And you know, it was, it was sport that helped me through that. If I didn't have sport, there would be nothing I could structure my day around. I would just sit in bed all day with the shades drawn watching Netflix. Yeah. And so it was <laughs> talk about pros and cons. That, that was definitely the con. I mean, the pro was, it was a way for me to stay accountable and, and having coaches in place too, during those times, I can stay accountable to them as long as they know what's going on with me. You know, and that was the key communication between them just saying, hey, I'm in a really bad place. Here's where I'm at. You know, I need to be extra accountable to you. Okay. I'm, I'm going to get a little little frank here, and you know, because I know my listeners are probably calling me out on something. You know, I, I talk about the fact that I, I do drink. In fact, I'm having a beer right now. Um, I, I drink while recording the show, and sometimes we record the show at, at breweries and things like that. And I don't want to sound hypocritical, so I'm going to put that out there. But um, how do you handle times when, when there is a specific element in some dynamics of the sport, some cultures and some groups within the sport, where a post-race beer is a part of the event? Um, um, and, and is that difficult for you or do you just find a way to ignore it or do you just go and choose not to? Is it, it's, it's a hard perspective point for me, I guess, to understand. Look, we live in a drinking, drinking world, Yeah, you know, and I can't control that. Um, ultra running, that was the big thing. Like having beers, IPAs, like these, whatever. Yeah. Having beers after and celebrating after long races, cycling. I see, I was at a local crit here in town you know, and they were giving six packs away to a preem winner. And, but there's nothing I can do. Yeah. You know, ultimately I have to, I have control of my reactions and what I can do. And, you know, I, I live in, I live in one of the microbrew capitals of the world right now. And it's, that was something I had to get over, um, in order to move back. But now it's like, I don't, I don't see those, those space or those places, uh, you know, where, you know, microbrews and here and that, and I don't get triggered anymore. So it's, it's not unmanageable, um, to be around that, especially in, in, in sports. Is it difficult though? I mean, do you find it something that you, you talked about having before you move back, you're saying, you know, I got to, okay, I got to put myself in a mindset where I have to think about that yes, this is a part of the life within this community. Um, is that difficult for you? Do you find yourself when others are doing these some of these things? You know, does it get difficult? Does your attitude change? You know, am I overreacting here? To be honest, am I insensitive in feeling this about what you might be going through? Because I, you know, I would be if you were there. I would be. You know, if I was talking to somebody like you, I've had friends who've dealt with this type of thing, and I'm, I'm, if I would feel weird standing there holding a beer, knowing that somebody has gone through these things that you've gone through. Yeah. It's annoying sometimes, <laughs> yeah. But, but to be honest, it gets annoying when number one, 
I haven't had sleep. <laughs> and number two, <laughs> I've got anxiety. Number three, like I'm feeling a little down. Like that's when it gets annoying. But I just have to simply remove myself. And, yeah. you know, I've never had someone criticize me for doing that. But yeah, it's like, I don't know, especially in ultra running, as, as I was getting out, it became more and more about like this craft beer beer culture. And, you know, you, you get an IPA after yeah. every ultra you run. And it's like, you know, and a part of me was like, you know, I wish it didn't have to be like that, but that's the trend of where the sport's going. Yeah. And I just, honestly, I just have to deal with it. Yeah. It, it Does it make you angry sometimes when people are handing you something and you're like, no thanks or something like that? Is there something in, inside that you're going, you know, screw you, this is, damn it, yeah, I just, it was a part. If, if someone hands me a beer after I've won a race or something, I'll just give it to my buddy and make him pound it right in front of me and just be like, <laughs> that's your deal. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Tell me about the book itself. Tell me what encouraged you to write the book and, and to think that this was something that, that you wanted to share with other people. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know, I started, I became public um, on Facebook with all my friends about being sober. And that was, that was probably six months into sobriety. And I started this blog talking about like the struggles in early sobriety and that sort of thing. And I started writing and listen, I failed English in college. <laughs> I was not a writer. Okay. And through the blog and like practicing to write, like it just, you know, I had, I had a couple of people, one, one was an author saying, Hey, you have a good style. Like, like keep that up. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? So I did, you know, and, and ultimately, um, as this blog was progressing, um, after a couple years, I just put, start putting pen to paper and like writing my story out. At first I didn't know it was be, going to become this book, but after, you know, I spent uh, certainly several hours writing and trying to figure out how I want to, um, you know, put the story together. It just, it was number one, it was cathartic and therapeutic for me. And it helped me understand the timeline and all of the shit that I went through um, from point A to point B. But number two, I know for a fact, you know, I've, I've had feedback saying from other people who have read it saying, dude, you just saved my life. Really? And that right there, if I don't sell another book for the rest of my life, my job is done. Yeah. Did it scare you at any given point in time putting that out there? Yeah, it fucking terrified me. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, exactly. That's, I mean, as I said, just from my first experiences of opening the book going, 
wow, you know, you're you're bearing your soul here to you know not to over dramatize it uh, to be able to say some, some things like this, like going, oh, this is the this is what I was doing. This is what I was doing to myself. I mean, in the in the first couple paragraphs, you talk about the fact that, yeah, I was I I was in this situation. I was driving drunk. I drove I drove drunk all the time. You know, and yep. that takes it takes a lot of guts to be able to put that out there. So you know, I don't, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm still scared with some of the posts I put up there. You know, and and but what I'm finding is when I get scared, that's the time I got to put it out there because somebody else is going through the same shit and they're not talking about it. Yeah. So it's, and with the book, you know, it was, I talk a lot about drugs and alcohol, but I also talk a lot about my relationships with females. And I think that was, that was actually even harder to talk about because I didn't, you know, and this is my own insecurity, but I didn't want to come, come off as like a womanizer because I go into some pretty like detailed stories about how obsessed I got with females. Um, and they were just an addiction in and of themselves. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> wow. I'm rereading my book right now. I haven't <laughs> done it since I, since I released it and there's still times I'll just be like, who is this guy? Why am I even saying this? Yeah. But you know, ultimately I do know someone out there who's reading it, you know, can relate to it and you know, it doesn't have to suffer in silence knowing that someone else has, has gone through the same shit. Yeah. So tell me how Novo Veritas came into this entire equation, um, your partnership with, I'm sorry, her name is Betsy, correct? Yeah, Betsy yeah. Hartley. Okay, and how all that came together and, and what the company's about or what the group, your, your work together is about. Yeah, she ultimately came to me um, to coach her in running. And her story, her story is amazing. She, I guess it was nine years ago now, she was 400 pounds and type, a type 2 diabetic, basically on her deathbed. And all of a sudden, she made this um, seismic shift to do something about it and to not sit there and just watch herself die. Wow. So she ultimately went on her own path and started moving more and eating less and you know doing that whole thing. And, and she ultimately lost 220 pounds, reverse type 2 diabetes. Wow. And just a year and a half ago, she ran her first 100-mile trail race. <laughs> so we take... Nova Veritas is based on the idea that we take our both individual stories and just provide hope to others who, you know, if they're considering a big lifestyle change, it's possible. You know, it's going to take hard work, but it's possible. And we just help them identify the obstacles, identify their whys, and really, and we do one-on-one -on -one coaching. That's what I'm talking about. And we help people, you know, make to stay accountable and make those pretty significant lifestyle changes. Um, so we've, you know, we've been at it for three years. Um, Betsy's working full time right now. Um, but my, you know, my goal is with Nova Veritas is, you know, start speaking on, on a bigger scale and just, and widening the audience and, and community of people who are going through these big seismic shifts. Um, because they, a lot of times they're doing this alone and we provide, the community where those people can meet other people and it's just it builds this cohesive uh, movement in one way to healthy lifestyles you talk about people making big changes and, and major lifestyle changes so what are the types of people or groups that that you two work with yeah well here's an example of a client that we're working with now he came to us he was 440 pounds this is probably 
probably two months ago now. And he came to us just saying, listen, I need help. And we talked with him. We went through kind of what his, um, what he was going through in terms of, you know, the eating and not moving and that sort of thing. And so our goal with him is just to take it day by day, move more. And we track his every day. I send him a text saying, Hey dude, how many steps have you gotten in today? Really? And so we watch that and then I'll send other texts saying, Hey, how many vegetables did you eat at lunch today? Instead of French fries or pork rinds or stuff that he was eating. And so, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty typical case of the folks that we work with. Um, it's not all about weight. You know, I work with uh, some runners who are sober, you know, I'm not their sponsor. I'm, I'm their more accountability partner and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a joy to watch these people just the light turn on, you know, a lot of them have been, been through hell for however many years and have done the same shit over and over and over and are in a rut. And the minute they make that mental shift saying, yeah, I can make a difference in my life. That's the gold right there. Do you prescribe sport to them or are they usually using somebody else for those types of things? Yeah. If they want to, for sure. I I coach several people ultra running um, still. And sometimes it is about sport. Sometimes it's not some, we uh, coached one woman who just wanted to get on the ground and play with her grandkids. Wow. That was it. Yeah. So. Wow. Um, so how have the reactions to the book been? You talked about some feedback you've received from it. Um, I've seen it up on, you know, it's now up on Amazon and things like that. Um, have, have things been good? Have you, what, have you positive, negative feedback, anything like that? I've not had any negative feedback yet. Um, I'm sure it's going to come at some point. <laughs> um, it's <laughs> and and actually that's something I'm I'm trying to prepare myself for. Um, but the feedback has been great. I've had and it's interesting. The group of people that have reached out the most have been vocal are the people that I didn't even know in like high school and middle school. Really, for some reason, I grew up in a really small rural town in Massachusetts, and apparently there's some drinking issues there. You know and. <laughs> And there are guys who I haven't talked to in 25 years who are reaching out saying, man, your book is literally saving my life, man. Thank you so much. And so those little, you know, they don't come every day, but when they come, it's, it's an amazing feeling just to know you're, you're helping someone out there. Well, with the negative stuff too, it always confuses the shit out of me when you're dealing with, well, I guess it's because we now live in the society where it's really easy to just get on your computer and bang out a few words telling somebody that they're an asshole. Um, (laughs) But but I've never understood the overwhelming desire of people to provide negative feedback when it doesn't really affect them, you know, and or somebody hasn't even read the book or something like that. And they just suddenly rant out at you. It's like, why did you waste your time to do that? What is the point? Yeah. And I think, uh, when I do get it, um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's from someone who's also in recovery and me talking about sobriety in a public forum. And, and, you know, there is, there are rules of anonymity within sobriety. Um, and I want to respect those as much as possible, but I'm also, you know, everyone's got to take their own process for staying sober. And part of my process is being public with it. Yeah. So, you know, I can't control everybody. I can't control everyone's reactions. And, and if you hate the book, well, thanks for buying it. I mean, it's, <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? You know, I maybe related to something with it, but yeah. 
Right on. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit here. And as I, as I said before, we even started the show that um, there's something going on in this in the place you are you are currently living. I've had a lot of guests on the show who either currently reside or have in the past uh, called Bend Home. Um, yep. And what is it about that city that seems to be so special, especially with this type of, you know, the endurance athletes and the, and the outdoor type of a, of a community? There's an aura to it <laughs> that I got, I first got here in the summer of 98 and I came out here to train, um, on snow in the summer as I was going, um, to college the following year. And, uh, you know, you drive in this town and I remember the guys, um, the names might not mean much, but the Olympian, the cross country Olympians like Patrick Weaver, oh, yeah. Becky Scott, who won a gold medal for Canada. Um, Justin Wadsworth, Ben Hughesby, all those guys, all my heroes during that time were living and training in Bend. So when I got here, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like we're skiing with like my heroes. Right. And then, you know, I kept coming through the summers and then I graduated in the summer or in 2002 from St. Lawrence and I came back and it was just, and I got into cycling and all of a sudden, like, who's who Chris Horner, you know, he'll show up at rides. It's just, it's, phenomenal the talent um of of pro level athletes there are here and now with triathlons i <laughs> i was swimming the other day and jesse thomas you know yeah. pretty famous ironman champion he's he's swimming in the lane next to me and i'm just like are you serious <laughs> this is and it, stuff like that happens all the time I, I was on a group ride um a few weeks ago and and chris horner came and, and rode with us for an hour and I ended up talking to him about for 40 minutes. We we're just bullshitting. And it was that stuff happens in Ben. And I think people, you know, they hear about it, they see it and they want to experience it for themselves. And it's, it is definitely an endurance hotbed for sure. Well, a lot of times, and I guess a lot of my listeners are going to probably call this as Pat. This was Pat. You know, if they look back upon this and say this was his fascination with bike communities or, or sports-friendly communities, because it is. It's my bike town phase. Um, but I, what is it about the area that does it? Okay, the athletes are there, but what brings them there? What kept them? What brought them there in the first place? It can't just be the ability to train with other high high-level athletes. There's got to be something else i've been to boulder and no offense to boulder but boulder's really expensive and it's it's you know it's i wouldn't call it necessarily a cycling mecca but holy shit it is what is it about ben that makes people need to go there live their that type of a lifestyle there is it the access of the roads and the, the nature the, you know i don't what is it <laughs> it's you can do any endurance sport here i mean you can here's an example in the winters um, when I was skiing more, I could cross country ski up at the mountain in the morning and go and ride my time trial bike for four hours in the afternoon. It's 50 degrees and sunny. Like there are not a lot of places where you can get that, um, that dynamic where you can do all these sports and do them. You know, you can't cycle throughout the entire winter, but it's pretty close. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's just the access, the Cascade mountains are badass. You know, it's, they're different from the Rockies, but for me, like they just, the mountains, maybe it's because they're all volcanoes, you know, I don't know, but <laughs> there's something, there's something that draws me to them. And I, you know, in talking to other athletes, especially when I first got here, that, that was it. Like Mount Bachelor, um, just the incredible skiing, the, the cycling is great. The mountain biking is phenomenal here. Yeah. Um, 
I don't own a mountain bike, but I probably should, and I want to soon. But it's, I mean, the trails are endless. How? Um, it's just, I don't know. It's again, I go back to that aura and the mystique of just, I want to be here, you know, yeah. because of all the access to all the cool shit to do. How the hell do all these people pay the rent? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's <laughs> it's, it's not that big a town. It's right on Boulder's coattails for ex- being expensive, but you know, fortunately struggling or, or an independent author can come here and still live. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right. So I'm, I'm coming down there at the end of July to, to do some stuff about what makes it such a cycling and outdoor friendly community. And I'm just trying to pick the brains of the residents who just swear by it. I mean, I, I've talked to some people who've, I said, you know, I'll, I live in Spokane and I've yep. said to some people, Hey, this is the place. And they're like, Oh, screw fuck you. No way. Ben, ben <laughs> kicks your ass. And I'm like, wait, what? No. So I, I got to compare the, t- the cities and see what the hell's going on or what, what you guys are you know, doing over there that makes it so much better. Okay. From, so from a cycling perspective, there's this one group ride that goes off every Tuesday night at 6 PM and forget racing, forget all the sanctioned shit. It's <laughs> pride. And every two, like literally I know people who train just to compete on that ride, not to race. I mean, there is just something about it. It just brings out the most, you know, the best in people from a competitive standpoint. And it's, it's extremely infectious. So what keeps you going? What, you know, you're, you've gone from, you know, a cycling and an ultra running career and now you're into triathlon and stuff like that. What keeps you motivated and keeps you going out to, to try and, like you said, you have that dream of reaching that level. What is it that does it for you? That's a good question. I think it has to do, I don't know, there's something ingrained in me that just knows that I still have um, athletic potential that I haven't quite tapped into. Yeah. Um, and I really want to figure out what, what that is. And I want to see what capacity I, I have in myself. Um, but Honestly, what keeps me going is, is staying sober too. You yeah. know, if if I go out and have a crown royal right now, this all this disappears, and I have to start all over. And so that that's a big motivation for me to you know focus on sobriety first and foremost, and you know have the athletics um, support or come in afterwards. But but yeah, that's recovery for me is is the most important thing. Is it a lifelong deal? You can always be. Is do you foresee yourself doing something in terms of this for as long as you're able to sit upright? With it, with recovery, or with sport, with sport, actually, with both. You know, is this something you can ever shake? Also, being sober is one day at a time. Yeah, you know, it's, that's a cliche, but it's absolutely correct. Correct. Um, you know, I know guys who had 35 years of sobriety all of a sudden roll down to a bar and just take a drink again. Really? And so that stuff, it's like, and I only have a little more than four years of sobriety. So I'm, I'm a newcomer in a lot of ways to this whole thing. They say after five years, you really learn about sobriety. So (laughs) if that equation keeps up, I got another half year, but, but yeah, it's that, that is day to day. Um, with sport, I really hope it's something that it, it's it's just my lifestyle, and I thrive in it. Um, I gain confidence in it, and you know, until 
until my body's just completely broken down, you know, I see myself always, always being fit or trying to be fit. Um, but racing to a degree too, the, the competitive edge in me is, is, uh, is definitely important. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm the, I'm, I guess I could say I'm kind of the same way. I was in a race last night. I started the race. I was not in the mood to be competitive and I started it and halfway through I was thinking, ah, you should just drop out, just call it a night. And then one guy passed me and I got pissed off at him by the way he passed me. And so I spent the rest of the entire night chasing the son of a bitch down, you know, and I, that, you know, I don't want to say I compete at this, at, at the level I compete at because I, I get mad or, or something like that. But sometimes, yeah, that competitive fire is what keeps you going. Uh, you know, the, it's the guilt that seeps in when you're sitting there watching TV or something like that, um, going, God, I bet you the other son of bitches are out there training. You know, but, uh, you know, I guess it's, I guess, like you say, it's a part of the mentality of, of the people who fall into the sport in the per- first place. Well, Strava isn't really helping with that either. That <laughs> tends to promote uber competitiveness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you got a thought on Strava? What, what do you think of it? I got I got very addicted to it, especially when I was running 100, 110, 120 mile okay. weeks. Um, you know, for me, at that point in my life, I was all about results and not about process. And so I took a lot of pride in having other people see how much I was running. Ultimately, okay. that was my downfall. You know, so I, I had to take a break from Strava because, yeah, I got addicted to it for sure. And now... You know, now I'm on it, and it's funny with triathlons. I have no expectations. You know, I, I have no history with this sport. Whereas with ultra running, with cycling, I had all these expectations about certain results and that sort of thing. And, and Strava really drove that. Um, but now I feel like I've got a healthy, not healthy, a more healthy relationship with it. <laughs> okay. So before we finish up, um, you know, I'm going to ask about contact information, things like that. But I, I also got to get this elephant out of the room. I, I spend a lot of my, my, my summer seasons announcing at triathlons. And I, I, a lot of my friends are triathletes. And a lot of my friends are also cyclists yeah. and mountain bike racers. Um, you're now involved in the sport of, of triathlon. Did you ever have a preconceived opinion about triathletes before you got into this? And if so... Have they been proven correct or incorrect? Oh, yeah, I definitely did. <laughs> let, me, um, let me put this this way. You are not going around with shorts, with sleeveless jerseys and arm warmers, are you? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you know, there's definitely, you know, and I guess I don't know the cliche to the fullest, but, you know, I see guys in this town doing that kind of stuff and yeah. kind of following that super type A cliche, like whatever, whatever that means, but... Well, you're a roadie, so you know you know the not necessarily. I'm not going to resort to Velominati, but you know the style rules. You know the things like that. You know, and uh, triathlons are kind of a different thing. I don't know. I think I think shaved legs brings it out in dudes, especially. I don't know what it is about that, but shaved legs and spandex just. I don't know. <laughs> So, so, so every nothing. You didn't have any preconceived ideas about triathletes before, uh, when you were in your, you know, early twenties and thirties that you're now seeing, or or you're not looking in the mirror and going, "Oh shit, I've become one of them," or anything like that. No, I, I wish more guys out there looked like Mark Allen, to be honest, and, <laughs> and I wish I looked like Mark Allen a little bit. I mean, you bring back the old school road bike, but oh, yeah, it's. it's uh, I don't know. There are a lot of, a lot of fancy, expensive toys in the sport. And yeah. to be honest, 
you know, you might have a $10,000 bike and, you know, you might love riding it. But when it comes to, I've seen guys, you know, with all the fancy stuff ride much slower than guys with just rear entry side bikes. So I, I always, I always think that's kind of funny and, you know, more power to them. If you can afford a bike like that, I wish I could, you know, yeah. but, uh, there's just something about it, you know, buying time with, with gear. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, let, tell me how people can find you. Tell me how people can find the book and other ways they can kind of follow your journey. Yeah, we're, I'm on all the social media outlets, um, on Instagram at Spencer Newell 10. I'm on Facebook. Um, appetite for addiction is all over, uh, social media as well. We've yeah. got, um, I've got an Instagram account, a Facebook account, uh, a Twitter account. <laughs> and also with Novo Veritas, we've got a Facebook account, just search for Novo Veritas and it pops up pretty quick. Um, but yeah, and of course for the book, um, you can either go to the Novo Veritas website, which is N-O-V-O-Veritas.com and you can purchase it that way or you can just go on uh, Amazon and, and Prime will take care of you. It's, it's, it's all over Amazon. Is there, you're talking about doing more writing. Is there, is there something else, another extension or is there some other ideas you kind of want to whet the appetite with? Yeah, I'm, I'm halfway through my second book. And, and really with, with appetite for addiction, um, I wanted to, I didn't want to go too much into the recovery standpoint. I wanted to focus on, you know, the evolution of myself as an addict and all the experiences I had that culminated to the day I got sober. Um, so I'm writing a second book. That's the follow-up, just explaining more about the process of recovery and all the stuff I've learned about myself with like ego and be actually being an introvert, um, you know, the role that depression yeah. has played in my life and those sorts of things. So yeah, I'm halfway through and it's, it's an exciting project um, because it's, it's present day and I'm living it as I'm writing it, you know? So, and then with the blog, yeah, I, I just, I keep, you know, practicing writing and, you know, if the subject comes to mind, like I just wrote about running a depression, how the two can help, um, help each other. But yeah, it's uh, lots of writing projects um, cool. cool. kind of going right now. And of course, training and, and, and running Novo. There we go. Well, no, I mean, and I'm not saying this to kiss up. Uh, like I said, I just started the book about a week ago um, yeah. and I'm, I'm, I'm loving the read and I, I appreciate your courage and how it also applies to, you know, art, the, the mentality of the, of the endurance athlete and things like that and how the, that type, type of a culture is, is, is hopefully beneficial for, for everybody in the long run. So I applaud you for, the, I applaud you for your effort, man, and um, thank you very much for your time and coming on the show. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Patrick. Thank you. Yeah, and by the way, when I'm down in Bend, um, you, I, if I catch you in sleeveless jerseys and, and arm warmers, um, we're going to have to have a little chat. <laughs> in compression socks. Right? Exactly. No, <laughs> so you know what? I'm not actually running. I used to run in compression socks because my legs shake too much or something like that. I think I got oversized calves or something like that. Now, you know, I don't know, but I'm not. I, those get a bad rap. Yeah, they do. I agree. I, I agree. I agree. Well, thanks again, man. Yeah, you bet, Patrick. Thank you. So there you go, you guys. If any of this intrigues you, get to a online bookstore, get to a bookstore, whatever it might be. Amazon has them. Um, 
Spencer told you directly where his website is and how to get the, how to get a copy of the book if you want to go straight from the source if you like holding the physical book in your hand. I found mine on Amazon. If you're a Prime member, to be honest, I I, I put it to my Kindle and I was able to get a copy of it uh, really easily. No, I don't have a Kindle. It's on my iPad. I'm not that old. All right, but a uh, uh, great read and hopefully, you know. Hopefully we're going to hear a lot more from Spencer, especially that second book he's talking about in terms of not only dealing with recovery, but but where to go from there. Um, so there you go. Fun stuff. We got more live shows coming up here in the next several weeks. In fact, I've got one hopefully planned for this upcoming Monday. I'm, I'm recording this pre and post segment here on a Friday morning, and I'm, I'm looking to hopefully do a, a live show again on Monday. And we've also got some more guests, obviously, coming up over the next several months. Here we are in the Tour de France season. So, obviously, we'll be talking up that stuff and be uh, providing my useless interpretation of the bike race as it progresses. I don't know about daily this year. Daily seemed to be kind of a waste of my time. So, I'll probably do something a little bit more weekly because I'm sure you guys get enough daily stuff of people who actually know what they're talking about. Once again, big thanks to uh, Noon Hydration. Um, I, I want to mention my my friends over at Fit for Hope. Get Fit for Hope. Check them out on Facebook. Um, great cause, great things, and hopefully, I think they're sending me some swag for our live show, so we'll maybe be able to get you a little bit more information on all the great things they are doing over at Fit for Hope. Just find them on Facebook. Speaking of which, you can find me on Facebook. You can find us on uh, Twitter, on Instagram, on pretty much every single social media source, um, and you know, that, yeah, whatever, right? Subscribe to the podcast, uh, rate the podcast, tell us what you think. And, um, I think I've been talking about the bike town concept that we're putting together. We're going to start putting together some actual, some video work here as we get going. If you know of a town or if you live in a town that you think is the perfect bike utopia, tell me about it. And let's see if we can get something lined up because we want to put together a series of a couple video shows, YouTube shows. I don't know, whatever you call them. I, you know, I'm, I've been doing this audio shit for so long, but, I, you know, it's maybe time to do a little bit more video and, and talk about some uh, great places to go ride your bike and what makes them better than another. What makes them stand out? Is it just access to the roads and the trails or is it more of a culture that might be in that? And I want to kind of dive into that. So... Send me some information if you think you live in a cycling mecca, a cycling utopia, and whatever makes it so damn good. All right? I guess that's it. We'll talk to you next time on the Pack Filler Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.